welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's the 100th episode. Yeah. 100 episodes, so fantastic, so awesome, super exciting. Thank you guys so much for helping make Speak a Dogcast a success. And with that said, I am super excited for what the next 100 episodes are going to have. Guys, we have some awesome stuff in the works. We're revamping our Instagram page. We're going to get all kinds of good training information videos out there. So be sure you follow me, Speak a Dogcast on Instagram. Our YouTube channel is going to be launching soon. Yeah, you heard me right, YouTube channel. We're going to have all of the episodes available for you guys to watch. We're going to have training videos, all great stuff, great content. That's what these next few months are going to be. Awesome content coming your way. You guys are going to want to be a part of it with me. So be sure you click that subscribe button, new episodes every week. Follow me on Instagram, all great stuff. I'm just, I can't even begin to express how happy and excited I am for all of this. So thank you guys again, 100 episodes, super cool. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the walk, front door, and more. I have got to bring together a jam-packed training episode for this 100th episode, so there's so much awesome information in there. Check that one out. Then we've got a little thank you, Speak Listeners. Yes, a little thank you segment to all of you guys, followed by the National War Dog Cemetery and Memorial. Really cool segment today on this. Guys, we all know, look, today is December 7th. It is uh, Pearl Harbor Day. It's the day that we uh, Pearl uh, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, entered the United States into World War II. Uh, It's definitely a day we need to remember, we need to think about, we need to talk about, and the National War Dog Cemetery Memorial segment is going to do just that. So thank you to all who have served, our veterans, uh, and those that have made the ultimate sacrifice. Now, followed by this segment, we will have our listener Q&A. Love it, guys. Keep the questions coming my way. If you have dog questions, training questions, animal questions, send them on over. You can email me spe- uh, questions at speakadogcast.com or feel free to message me on social media as well. Now, before we get going with today's amazing 100th episode, I have to give you that trivia question. Today's question is going to be, where are your dog's sweat glands located? Yes, where are the sweat glands located on your dog? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speaking Dogcast, the walk, the front door, and more. So, 100th episode, wanted to give you guys a jam-packed informational training segment today. And you know, I've been getting a lot of requests for the front door lately. It's it's something we've got to revisit because, hey, you know, it, it, Corona, COVID, it screwed up everybody's dogs. That's just, it screwed us up. It screwed up dogs too, because, you know, for a while people weren't coming to the front door. People maybe weren't coming in and out of the house as often. And now all of a sudden, maybe people are, and your dog doesn't know what to do with it. You're like, wait a second, nobody was here. No, all of a sudden everybody's here, you know? Um, so we have to, uh, we have to reteach our dogs or maybe rework on it. Even like, even my, my little chihuahua, she went backwards a little bit with her training, uh, with the front door because we just didn't have anybody over here for a very long time. Um, so front door is something we're going to cover today. And then of course the walk, because we always got to go back to the basics and look, I, I, you know, let's just dive into the walk because I I can't, it's kind of blowing my mind and I can't stress it enough how important the walk is. And what what blows my mind is how many people don't make the walk the focal point of their training and they should, (laughs) it's that simple. They should, you know, and we have to talk about 
basics with the walk. And the first thing we want to talk about with basics with, you know, actually forget the walk. Let's talk about it. Let's start with animals. Let's go here. Every animal on this planet needs a job, guys. And every animal on this planet has a job. We do. Like every single one, every, all of us, a species, we all have one thing in common when you think about it. We really do. We all have one thing very much in common. Survival. Making it to tomorrow. You know, surviving is a job. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but got to work your butts off and, and uh, keeping, the, keeping that roof above your head and still standing and <laughs> all these things cost money, take time, work. It's a job. It's a job. So in order to survive ourselves, we have to work and it's a job. And it's no different for every animal from, from a dog to a cat to a tiger to the tiniest little ant uh, crawling around on the ground. Every animal on this planet needs a job and for that matter already has one. And so it's kind of this, it's, it's this programmed thing in our brain and all of our DNAs that we need to work. We need to do something. We need fulfillment. And so that work actually makes us fulfilled. And, you know, if you see, if you, you know, if you look at like a lot of zoos and things like that, they do enrichment programs. Um, they do programs to create artificial tasks for some of these animals, uh, artificial foraging for an animal that forages to give them that sense because you know, they don't know. They just know they forage and foraging is foraging to their instinct. I know people don't like to hear that, but so you can actually successfully create these zoo environments. It's no different than your home, guys. These four walls around us, uh, you, you know, you bring your dog and you put them in your home. We'll talk about that in a second. But again, these zoos, they're going to give artificial tasks, artificial jobs to these animals to create fulfillment, to create instinctual fulfillment through working for their food. That's normal. That's natural. And that's a survival mechanism that is in all of our DNAs. How we get that food, whether it's hunting or, 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 or forage or whatever, that differs animal to animal, of course. Um, but you see the basic concept here. It's a job. And so if we take that a step further and we go down to the dogs, take it a step further, go to dogs, take a step back, go to wolves. See what I did there? <laughs> okay. And we look at what a wolf is. A wolf is a pack migratory animal. So... Just by that inform, just by the past two minutes of information I've given you, I can now say, well, the wolves are pack migratory animals. Therefore, a walk is a form of a job for them. It gives them something to do. It fulfills them on a natural, basic, and instinctual level. Now I can already hear some critics, David, we've proven that dogs are not wolves and they're not pack and they don't have this hierarchy. And I call I call foul. I'm sorry. I call foul on that. I I am no less a Neanderthal than any other person next to me. Don't we act like it? Doesn't humankind and mankind act like creatures that we came from? Hmm. So fascinating that some people try to separate that out because it's domesticated creature. Humans are domesticated creatures. We are. We self-domesticated, but we're domesticated nonetheless. And dogs are no different. If you spend any amount of time working with dogs... And, and, and seeing them in a pack environment truly develop this. You see the hierarchy, guys. You see the wolf in there. Do they act like just wolves? Absolutely not. They're still a domesticated animal. They have their differences. I'm not sitting here saying a dog is a wolf. I'm saying a dog is a domesticated wolf. And to ignore that is pure ignorance. It's that simple. So 
if I can't ignore the fact that a dog is a domesticated wolf, and I can't ignore the fact that do- that animals need jobs, and I can't ignore the fact that the the fulfillment for a wolf is going to be the pack walk, and I can't ignore the fact that again a dog is a domesticated. You see this circle. It's very easy to see the dots connect, isn't it? Well, there it is. The walk has to happen. <laughs> All of that, we come full circle to understand in order to give our dogs fulfillment and truly let them feel instinctually fulfilled, it's all about the pack walk, guys. All about the pack walk. It is the biggest training tool that solves majority of problems. It's that simple. Now, is there a right and a wrong way to do the walk? Absolutely, we gotta talk about that. What are the what are the parameters of a good walk? Okay, it's kind of a checklist, all right? It's kind of a checklist, but first and foremost at the checklist more than anything is focus. Is your dog focused, right? Um, Do you have focus on the walk? Do you have the ability to guide and direct your dog's focus on the walk? You know, uh, that's the underlying kind of key to the walk, if you will, right? It has to start with the focus, okay? Once we have focus, let's think about what what the walk looks like. Some of you guys have seen it out there. Uh, most people don't really walk their dogs correctly, so maybe you don't see it as often as I wish you did. Uh, but what does it look like? Well, the owner's walking with their dog next to them. The dog is either beside or behind them, never out in front of them. We have a nice loose leash going on. It's not this tight leash. The dog isn't yanking them down the street. The dog isn't six feet in front of them. The dog isn't stopping every five feet to pee on something and sniff at something. It's a nice walk. The dog's trotting along. It's got a nice little strut. Ears are back. Maybe tail's kind of got a nice little wag to it. Okay. That's what the walk is supposed to look like. Do you know what the walk is not supposed to look like? Dog sniffing, the dog really frantic all over the place. It's attention everywhere, but where the owner is, the tail frantically going like this, ears up and alert and going all around and darting every which way. That's not what a walk should look like. That's what a walk looks like for a lot of people out there, but it's not what the walk should look like, guys. Follow that criteria I talked about. Beside or behind you, never in front, loose leash, nice relaxed ears, nice maybe tail wag, little strut to it. That's what the walk should look like. Why? Because the walk is a job, okay? It's not this free-for-all, let's just sniff everywhere and pee on every. That's not what the walk is. The walk is a job. So if the walk is a job, we gotta treat it like a job. We gotta be like we're on a mission. That's what the walk needs to feel like, and that's how you give your dog fulfillment on the walk, okay? So it's creating focus and then getting your dog within that criteria. If you create focus first, then the criteria, that, that stuff kind of ends up coming with it, okay? So in order to create this focus, we have to start at home before we even get out for a walk. You heard me right. Um, you know, look, I'll just tell you right now, here's here's how a first session goes for me, okay? This is just, this is how it goes. When I get there, um, usually the dog, you know, <laughs> I walk in the front door, nine times out of 10, the dog jumps all over me, it's out of control, the owner has the improper collar on, you know, it's okay. First session, I'm just showing up. Uh, <laughs> they have an improper collar on. They don't leash up the dog. There's no treats or treat pouch anywhere. Okay, that's what happens. I walk in the door and it's just kind of a free-for-all, right? And they'll try to say no, but they don't actually do anything about it. And the dog ignores them. And Okay. Um, so usually I ask for a leash, grab a leash, we leash it because I, I like to see what leash they're using if I have it already from the consultation. Um, <laughs> okay. And then I walk in and I've got my treats on and I try to start calming the dog down a little bit. I don't use the treats to calm the dog down. That kind of sounded like that. It's not what I meant. Uh, I leash up the dog and we start doing some leash corrections, telling them no if they're jumping on me, um, creating some control with the leash, not allowing them to jump on me by keep, keeping the tension just right on the leash. And then maybe, maybe ask for a sit 
And if they sit, give them a treat. And then usually they go back to jumping on me again. And we go back a little correction and they relax and they sit down again and I give them a treat. And so I slowly start to build very big. I start very simplistic. This is how I start pretty much every single uh, session I go to, really. I started to build with something really small. I'm going to teach this dog, very simply put, I'm gonna, I want that brain to start clicking of, wait, I sit down, I relax, and I look up at this guy and I get food. I act like a lunatic, I get a correction or redirection. I sit, I relax, I look up at this guy, I get food. Very black and white. I'm asking, I'm asking one simple thing and giving two simple pieces of info. This is what I don't like. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what I like. And before you know it, the dog is trying to sit down and relax every second it possibly can. And you know what it's not doing? Jumping all over me. You know what it's not doing? Act like a lunatic. You know what it's not doing? Not, it's not, its attention isn't everywhere. It's focusing on me. So I start very basic and very black and white at every single first session. And as I'm doing this, as I'm calming the dog down and refocusing and giving it two pieces of info, punishment, reward, punishment, reward, punishment, reward. As I'm doing that, I'm giving my lesson to my, to, to my clients, teaching them about a little dog psychology 101. That's where we start, okay? Start giving them info while giving the dog info at the same time. Usually we spend about 20, 30 minutes on this and then we head outside for a walk. Now, listen carefully. This is important. All that work I just did inside for 20 to 30 minutes of simply punishment if you act like a lunatic, reward if you relax and calm down. And not only that, one other little side note, uh, I've been rewarding the sit. If the dog goes into a lie down on their own and relaxes on their own, boom, big handful of treats. Here's a big reward for you, little jackpot reward. I want to make sure extra reward, that extra relaxation. Look, guys, anytime a dog relaxes, I want to tell them I like it. Okay, when we're starting the training, anytime a dog relaxes, I want to go, good job, good boy, keep going, keep doing that. Here's a treat, here's a reward. Simply put, okay? So, I've done all of this work inside of showing the dog focus and relax and you get a reward. So that way, when I walk out that front door, sure, the dog the first time usually bolts on me, now we're on leash, of course, but they usually bolt out the door, but guess what? Because of all that info I gave the dog inside, I can go... I've been pairing that kiss. Hey, I should have mentioned that. I've been pairing that kissy noise the whole time. Every time they relax, kissy noise and give them a treat. Every time they sit down and relax, kissy noise, give them a treat. So they start connecting the dots. Every time I hear the kissy noise, I look up at this guy and I get food. This is awesome. So when we walk out the door and the dog goes to bolt, instead I go, and the dog actually comes back to me, turns around, sits down, and relaxes. Training on the walk has to start before the walk. Simply put, okay? I have to start with focus and relaxation before I walk out the door if I have any expectation of my dog continuing that once I do walk out the door. Kind of makes sense when you think about it. You have to head off the problem and give your dog a different option. Your dog only knows option A right now, right? Bolt out the door, bolt out the door, bolt out the door, bolt out the door. I go and I, I, he calls my name when I'm on leash. I don't care. I don't listen because they haven't given me anything for, for listening. So why would I? But if I can create that at home, start it there, build upon it, makes all the difference in the world, guys. Makes all the difference in the world. So a good walk actually starts well before you walk out the door. Starts with that kissy noise exercise. And you know something, I'll mention that. Um, when I go to a consultation and, and people are, you know, they sign up and they're ready to go, I give, them, I give them one exercise to start with before we start the training. And that's the kissy noise. It's very simple, guys. You're gonna make a kissy noise, Dogs naturally cue into that high-pitched noise. Now, feel free to pair their name with it, too. Uh, nothing wrong with that. You can do the kissy noise, fluffy, 
okay, take a treat, get them to look at you and make that eye contact. You can take the treat and put it below your, kind of, you know, wave it in front of their nose a little bit, put the treat below the chin, gain the eye contact, hold the eye contact, good boy, good girl, and then feed them, okay? Kissy noise. Treat up to the chin, gain the eye contact, lock it, hold it for a few seconds, give them a treat. Sometimes I hold the eye contact for 10 seconds, sometimes for two minutes. That way they understand it doesn't matter how long, they still need to focus on you and pay attention to what's going on, okay? Really, 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 really simplistic exercise, really, really, really important exercise. I can't stress that enough. That kissy noise will be your best friend when you get out on the walk, okay? Um, so again, starts with that kissy noise, lay the foundation inside, then we head outside toward the distractions, try to kissy noise and redirect, okay? Now, I'm not gonna get into my turns today because we'll, we'll probably do some videos of that down the road. Uh, so I don't wanna give away too much today. <laughs> Jam-packed info, but not that. Um, the turns are also kind of difficult. Like I can't even show you sitting here in the chair how to do it properly, to be honest. Um, but in a nutshell, guys, if you're out on the walk and your dog gets distracted, okay, and they wanna pull toward the distraction, you wanna redirect and turn and walk the opposite direction away from that distraction, Okay, to try to redirect their focus on back to you. If I get the focus back to me, I'm gonna redirect that, keep it, and then turn around and try to go back toward the distraction. If they start getting distracted, we turn around, walk away, redirect. And what I wanna to try to get in the concept of my dog's head is every time you walk and lose your, walk toward this thing and lose your mind, you don't get what you want, buddy. We actually walk away. But every time you stay calm as we approach this thing, then I'll actually keep walking toward it. Aha, see what I did there? So if I walk toward it and they lose their mind, we turn and walk away. But if I walk toward it and they stay relaxed, well then I can keep walking toward it. I can actually use those turns as reward and punishment. Okay, so again, I'm gonna kind of gloss over this real quick, but in a nutshell, we have to think of motivation when we think of punishment and reward as I've talked about before, but like I said, we're gonna kind of gloss over this. So I'm not giving you the deep info on this, but so, so hang with me. Um, but in a nutshell, the definition of punishment is anything an animal works to avoid. Even more simply put, the opposite of what, your, of what the animal wants. So look at it this way, right? Stick with me here. If your dog wants to walk toward the distraction and I keep walking toward the distraction, then it's reinforcing whatever behavior they're giving off in that moment. So if they're pulling me toward the distraction and I keep moving toward the distraction, I'm literally reinforcing that behavior. I'm literally saying pulling is how you get there, buddy. Okay, right, makes sense? But if they pull toward the distraction, instead they don't get what they want, they don't get to move the distraction, and instead we turn and go the opposite direction, well, that's the far, that's 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 form of punishment, isn't it? All right. So I can actually use just turning and redirecting as a form of punishment. So that way they start connecting the. Oh gosh, this guy's done this like six times now. Every time I lose my mind and walk toward this thing, I stop getting what I want. We stop moving toward that thing. But and, and then once I calm down, we turn around and move and come back. Oh, maybe I should keep staying calm. Ah, there's the dots connecting. Okay, so you see what I'm saying here. Um, now, there's more to it than that. Like I said, that's kind of the gloss over version, but we can utilize our leash work, our turns to redirect focus and reward and punish, okay, behaviors we like and don't like. It's that simple, okay? Um, so that's kind of a couple things with the walk. Number one, okay, let's just recap where we're at. Number one, we wanna start with focus before we even walk out the door. Start with a little focus exercise of kissing noise, getting your dog to look at you and rewarding it. Number two, we wanna make sure we're also re uh, reinforcing relaxing, calm behaviors. Every time your sits, dog sits down, lies down on their own without a command, okay? Those are the times I wanna reinforce and strengthen the relaxing behaviors, so that way my, door, my dog is more apt to, well, 
be relaxed and focused, right? If we reward focus and we reward relaxation, what's your dog more likely to do again? Be relaxed and focused, crazy concept, all right? So if we strengthen that before we walk out the door, then once I do walk out the door, if I lose control, I'm more likely to be able to regain it, okay? These are simple things you may just have not thought about with the walk, that it's important to have that focus and have that control before you step out the door, okay? But it's very important, very, very important aspect of the walk, right? Okay, um, so from there, a couple tips on the walk. We haven't talked about the right tools today, so we gotta talk about the right tools real quick. Number one, no runaway leashes, guys. Get rid of the extendable leashes. They're the worst thing ever. They're only gonna fight you. Number two, excuse me, number two, get rid of the harnesses. Harnesses are actually designed to make dogs pull. I know, David, the marketing people said it's the no pull harness. It's a load of crap, get rid of the damn thing. (laughs) I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but harnesses are a terrible tool to get a dog to stop pulling. It's just what it is, okay? So get rid of the runaway leashes, get rid of the harnesses. Let's get a nice six foot leash, whether that be a nylon leash, a leather leash, whatever your preference is, I like a nice six foot leash. It's enough leash to be able to manipulate, work with, but we can also keep it short and it's not like this crazy long thing in our hands, okay? Um, So regular old six foot leash and a martingale collar. Martingale collars are three-fourths nylon, one-fourth chain, and then we pull the chain and it constricts that nylon part, okay? That's what a martingale collar is. Get yourself the martingale collar, best collars out there. Uh, Nothing wrong with a choke collar. I try to avoid the, you know, look, I try to stay with the martingales if I can. Sometimes you gotta go up to a choke collar. There's nothing wrong with that. And on the more rare occasion, sometimes we have to go to a prong collar. There's nothing wrong with utilizing a prong collar correctly, guys. There's a right and a wrong way to use all kinds of tools, right? If you use a saw wrong, you can chop off your finger. Duh. So it's <laughs> it's it's pretty logical. Make sure you have the knowledge and the understanding to utilize these tools correctly. Okay. Martingale collar, six foot regular old nylon or leather leash. That's where we want to be with our training tools. And of course, don't forget those treats in that treat pouch, guys. Really, really important. Make sure you've got those treats and treat pouch on you every single walk. No excuses. No excuses to not have your treat pouch on you, okay? Um, The right tools are very important with training your dog. And the tangible tools, the things we can hold and, and, and touch, those are cool. But what about knowledge? David, that's so corny. Yes, it is. Knowledge. It is corny, but it's beyond true. Guys, when I first started training, it was all feel. I'll be honest, 100% feel. I'm the first to admit it. I had no clue what I was doing when I first started training. I was reading books. I was learning. And and then I did. And I learned and I started to understand. But I talked about it a couple episodes ago where I didn't, you know, I used to be very anti-treat. And the main reason why was because I didn't understand what a treat was. It's a tool. Okay, and I didn't understand how to properly use that tool. So if I didn't have the right knowledge, the right understanding, I wasn't getting the results that I could have. It's something simplistic. It's something that's maybe a little boring to some people, the dry information, the psychology. So, oh, they, yeah, but guys, it's important. It's important. I can't stress it enough. Without knowing what you're doing, how are you going to do it properly? without knowing what a leash is, without knowing what a treat is, without knowing what reinforcement means, what what punishment means. Well, again, guys, we're not gonna talk about it today, but what's one of the biggest misunderstandings in all of training? Positive and negative reinforcement. The vast majority of you out there, you don't have the right definitions for it. Sorry, it's that simple. Like, I'm not trying, it's just what it is. So that knowledge, that understanding, it's vital, 
vital to success with training your dog, okay? So I wanted to go over the walk in more of the basic concepts that get you there, okay? But I promise you, if you start utilizing these things a little better, you utilize the right tools, you gain focus and control before you walk out the door, it makes all the difference, all the difference in the world for how your walk is gonna go once you do get outside, okay? Um, do remember, we always wanna keep a nice, short but loose leash, none of this crazy long stuff. Don't give, you know, if you don't want your dog to be six feet in front of you, don't give them six feet of leash. Pretty basic. Um, guys, a lot of dog training, it, 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 we overcomplicate it. We do. We're, we're emotional, crazy creatures, and we tend to overcomplicate this stuff. One of my favorite sayings, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Don't overcomplicate this stuff, guys, okay? So we want to keep a nice short but loose leash when we're walking, walking our dogs. We want to have them always beside or behind us. We want to be able to control and manipulate that focus. Remember, that starts inside before you leave. Kissing always can be your best friend. Always have your treat pouch on you. Always use the proper tools. That's what you got to do to get a good walk going. And again, guys, super excited. We've got the YouTube channel. I'm going to be getting videos up there. I'm going to be getting all kinds of great content for you guys. So not only this uh, podcast stuff, the audio, but sometimes dog training, you need a little more than the audio. And that's what we're going to be giving you. So stick around and check it out. Super, super excited. Next on the list, we got to talk about the front door. Whew, front door, goodness gracious. The front door is a big one, guys. It is, it's a monster of a task because it's one of these things that you have to have patience for. You have to break it down into a few pieces for your dog. The first piece of the puzzle is teaching your dog, well, focus, but we'll skip over that because we already talked about that. You're already doing that now, right? So let's, let's talk about beyond the focus. We now have to teach our dog a spot exercise, a place, a command where they know to go sit and stay and wait. Now, this can be in the form of a dog bed. I almost prefer to use a dog bed at first, and then we can switch it to like a, a carpet or a rug or a corner of an area rug by the front door. That can work too. Um, but I like to use the dog bed at first because it's a good reference point for them to put there if they kind of have to climb onto it and easier for them to kind of understand and connect the dots. So um, first thing we want to do anytime we're training our dogs, guys, leash them up. Always put a leash on your dog so you have the means to guide and direct. Next thing, of course, is the tools. Got to go back. It's the same thing, right? Front door, walk, doesn't matter. Got to have the right tools. Treat pouch and treats, got to be on. Okay. Now, simply put, to train a spot, to train a place, it's very easy. You're going to pick up the leash. You're going to say, go spot. I usually point. I have like a point I do to go to your spot. Um, guide them over to the dog bed. Get them on the dog bed and feed them a treat once their feet, once their feet are touching that dog bed, good boy, good girl, and get a treat right in their mouth, guys, immediately, don't hesitate, okay? Then you'll guide them off. Now, again, release word, we won't talk about that too much today, but release word, I train my dogs, release word, all my clients, release word, it means, my release word is all right, means we're done. So if I put them on the dog bed, good, go spot, good, and then all right, release them off the dog bed. Give it a second, rinse and repeat. Take the leash, guide them over, Go spot, good, go spot. Give him a treat, good, go spot. Release, all right, okay. Over and over until your dog starts to make the connection. They'll do it pretty quick. Now, I don't want you to be 20 feet away from this dog bed either. The dog bed needs to be like right here and your dog right here. Guide them to the spot one or two feet away. Keep it simple for them to start with, okay? Every time those feet hit the, hit the spot, good spot, give them a treat. Then we'll take it one step further. Once they get on the spot, I'll ask for a sit. Good sit and then a stay. That's how we start extending the spot, teaching them that they're supposed to stay on the spot, okay? Then once we get the stay, 
Then we're going to move the dog bed over by the front door. After working the spot exercise for, you know, a couple days or a week, maybe, maybe even two weeks, really honing in, really reinforcing and strengthening. I say go spot, you go to your spot, treat, all good, you stay, good, cool. If you feel like your dog's really starting to get to it, uh, get it we're going to take that dog bed, we're going to move it over by the front door. Now give yourself a little space, back the dog bed away from the door, give yourself some space between the door and the dog, okay? And then we're just going to practice. Go to your spot, sit, stay, practice walking over to the door and opening and closing the door. Nobody's at the front door yet. Okay, no guests coming over yet. This is really simple. Go to your spot, sit, stay, open and close the front door. Good. Then we'll practice. Go to your spot, sit, stay, opening the door, leaving it open for 30 seconds. Good stay. Really work in that stay. Shut the door. All right, release them. Cool. Rinse and repeat this exercise, guys, for a good two solid weeks before you try to bring somebody to the front door. Okay, but that spot command is crucial. It's crucial to getting your dog to sit and stay at that front door. Okay, now, here we go. Now we're going to take it up a notch. Let's say your dog's a big barker. Let's say they really bark at the front door a lot. We got to desensitize that a little bit. So what we're going to do is we're going to start sit, stay on the uh, on the spot. And we're going to start ringing the doorbell. Okay, they'll bark. We'll try to call. Nope, sit, stay. Good. Get them to watch you. Get them to focus and reward once they stop barking. Pretty simple. You're going to desensitize. Hit the doorbell, get them to redirect, stop barking. They stop barking, reward. Your dog is never, ever going to stop like completely barking at the front door. But what we teach them is that it can be more controlled. When I say stop, you stop. And that way, the normal MO of, of a front door is door, door, doorbell, doorbell, knock, knock, knock. Dog's going to go over to the door, woof, woof, woof. I say stop barking, go to your spot, sit, stay. So we're actually creating this pattern of go to your spot, sit, stay, stop barking. Okay. Next step is to bring somebody to the door, right? Now, the first time somebody comes to the door, they're going to ring the doorbell. Hopefully the first time you want to get somebody who's aware of what's going on, aware of your training. They're going to be a little patient because this can take some time. Uh, and what you're going to do is you're going to have them ring the doorbell. You're going to open the front door. You're going to tell your guest, hey, just hang out outside for a minute. Just stay right there for me. Because most likely your dog's going to pop up right away when that door opens the first time with the person there. So you're immediately going to shut the door, put them back on their spot, tell them stay, try it again. When it comes to training, guys, if we're we're progressing in an exercise like this, and then we get to a point where all of a sudden we're, we're not succeeding anymore, go back to the last place you had success, rinse and repeat it there, and then try to move forward again. Okay, you want your dog to connect the dots to go back to the last place of success to move forward. Kind of makes sense, right? Um, so put them back on the bed, sit, stay. We try it again, open the door. What I want to accomplish in this moment is being able to have your guest stand outside, and you being able to treat your dog, walk over to the front door, walk back to the dog, reward them, they stay back to the front door. A couple back and forth so that way your dog understands the movement doesn't mean they get up, okay? Then we'll invite our guest in. Now, usually inviting the guest in, the dog might pop up again, no big deal, grab the leash, back to your spot, sit, stay, guest steps back outside, go backwards that one step, back to move forward. Now, let's say the guest comes in, dog keeps staying, good, stay. Then at that point, I might pick up the leash and say, all right, controlled, <laughs> controlled, we're going to approach our guest slowly, okay? The first time, <clears throat> excuse me, the first time that we approach the guest, as long as it's controlled, we're going to let the dog sniff for a split second, turn with the leash and walk away and give them a treat as they're walking away from the person. Second time, same thing. Split second sniff, call their name, make a little correction, turn and walk away, feed them as they're walking away. Do this two or three more times and what you're gonna discover is your dog is actually gonna approach the person, sniff, yeah, hey, what's up, cool, okay, where's my food, right? Uh, and what we're actually creating is a physical pattern of walking up to a person, 
greeting them, not getting overexcited, turning and walking away and the ability to give up on it. Because what do most dogs do? They stick around too long, the excitement builds, they start jumping. This heads off the excitement to never let it build past that, to never let it build to overexcitement. By creating a pattern of walk up, walk away, walk up, walk away, walk up, walk away, your dog never loses their mind. They're always going to be happy to see somebody. Like, you know what? People go, oh, I don't want him to be sad. He's not going to be sad to see somebody. We're just not, he's just not going to be overexcited. And that's what we want, right? So the front door, and then, and then of course, once we, I mean, you heard, I mean, my goodness, are we at like 10 minutes of explaining the front door now? You see how much breaking down there is to it. Because the thing is, if you break these things down into little baby pieces, Okay, if you break them down into baby pieces like this and add them up to the bigger picture, what's going to end up happening is within just a handful of weeks of practicing the front door from start to, to, to greeting a person, you're going to be able to go, hey, go sit down, no leash, right? Your dog barks, barks, barks when the doorbell rings, you say, hey, go sit, stay, open the door, no leash, no treats, invite your guest in, when you're ready, you release your dog, they calmly walk over, maybe a little happy, sure, nothing wrong with being a little happy, a little excited, but not overexcited. They're gonna say hi to your guest, not jump on them, and then turn and walk away, your guest can come in, all is well, all is normal, you know? Uh, that's what it takes to make the front door work. It takes practice, repetition, and patience. But guys, if you put in a couple weeks of core work, then you don't have to bring out the leash every time. You don't have to bring out the treat. You don't have to go, oh, I'm so sorry, my dog's jumping. Oh, I'm so sorry. Would you rather apologize for 12 years of your dog's life for their, excuse me, crappy behavior? Well, I could say the word, the word, but I didn't. I, uh, crappy behavior, I don't have to apologize for that one, <laughs> right? Would you rather keep apologizing for your dog's bad behavior? Or would you rather take a couple weeks, commit to the training, and fix it? Not enough people do. Not enough people do. I don't get it. Um, so that's the front door. <laughs> the front door and the walk. Now, the more part of this segment I'm going to give you today, <laughs> those of you that have stuck around, <laughs> stuck with me for the last half an hour here, so much info coming at you. The more part of the segment today, oh boy. Look, guys, it's honesty time. As I kind of said at the beginning of the segment, people don't want to do what it takes to train their dogs. Most. Most. Um, I can get a lot of people there. I can convince them and then get them there. But from the get-go, most people are not committed to what it takes to train their dog. You want to train your dog? You want to fix behavioral issues? You have to look inward at yourself. Because here's, here's the cold truth, guys. You ready for it? Here it is. You are the only reason your dog continues to act the way they do. Unless you've got some serious baggage from a serious rescue case. And even then, even then, as I've talked about before, at some point, you're to blame if things aren't getting better. You're to blame if you haven't tried to make, that's more what I'm trying, tried to make things better. The truth of the matter with dog training is we as owners consistently and constantly fail our dogs. It's true. And my job is to come in and bridge that communication gap to show them that they are failing. Because most people don't even realize they're failing their dogs. That's the sad part. Most people don't realize how they're failing their dogs. And so my job is to show them that. And it's not always the nicest or prettiest thing um, to show somebody that they've been failing their pet. Unknowingly, they're trying to do the right thing, but they're training with this and not this. If you truly want to make a difference in your dog's life, guys, if you truly want to get rid of your dog's behavior problems, anxiety, 
This is the reason I started the podcast, to preach the fact that you have to change the way you think, you have to train with your mind and not train with your mind, love with your heart. There's a difference and we have to create that separation in order to give our dogs the best. Train with your mind, love with your heart. It's what I try to do every day with my own dogs, my client dogs, and I can't stress it enough. Don't use this to train. It's going to get you into trouble, right? Um, I love my dogs. I, you know, I, I love my dogs more than anything and I want to give them the best, but sometimes giving them the best is, is having to provide rules, boundaries, structure, then the affection. Okay, guys? So let's remember that. The secret to dog training, really, when it comes down to it, is to train with your brain and not your heart. It is. So I kind of, you know, I like that. We're going we're gonna to roll with that. You know, train with your brain and love with your heart. Uh, I have to say thank you again to you guys because this is, you know, it's just super exciting. We're at this 100th episode and I'm looking forward to sharing even more training advice, more training stories, client stories. We're going to have guests on the show. We're going to keep it going. So thank you guys once again. And hey, don't forget, get out there and walk and train your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website www.thenatureoftraining.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Speak a Dogcast. Thank you, Speak listeners. That's right. Thank you guys so much. 100 episodes. We have hit 100 episodes. I honestly can't even believe we're here. I don't know how we made it this far. Actually, I do. <laughs> it's each and every one of you. It really is. So thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, those of you guys that have left me reviews and ratings, thank you. And if you haven't left me a review or a rating, <laughs> do me a favor, guys. Stop what you're doing right now. Take a moment, if you would, and leave me that five-star rating if you love what you're hearing. Leave me a little review if you want. You know what? I'll say a lot of people don't even know how to, how to do the ratings on podcasts. So really quick, if you're an Apple podcast listener, what you're going to do is you're going to go to Speak a Dogcast on your, on your app. You're going to scroll all the way down to the bottom. Scroll to the very bottom, very, very, very bottom, and you'll actually see a little star rating system. You can give me that five-star rating. And if you feel so inclined, you can even leave me a little blurb, a little review as well. I'd really appreciate it, guys. And thank you guys that have so far. And if you're a Spotify listener, those of you listening to the podcast on Spotify, they actually have a rating system now as well. So maybe you didn't realize it because, I mean, they didn't used to have the ratings. So be sure you go back. Give me that five-star rating on Spotify, Apple, uh, Apple uh, Podcasts, everything, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, you know, you're contributing to helping the podcast grow and succeed. And from the bottom of my heart, guys, thank you so much. 
so very much. I can't wait till the next 100 episodes. You guys got to stick around. We've got some great stuff coming. And before we talk about the future, I have to say one more very big thank you. Of course, that thank you is to my wife. Um, Jen, you've been instrumental in this. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way we would have reached 100 episodes if it wasn't for you. So guys, you have to thank my wife as well. It's not just me doing this. Week after week, she's there supporting me. She's there pushing me. She's there making sure this podcast happens. It's not just my efforts. Uh, it's my wife as well. So I have to say thank you. Thank you, Jen. I love you so much. And I appreciate everything you do to help this podcast succeed. So thank you. Um, now on to the future. We have some really cool stuff coming, guys. I'm so super pumped for the next few months. Um, look, if you haven't subscribed yet, be sure you subscribe. New episodes are gonna be, are gonna be, are coming out every Wednesday, continue to come out every Wednesday, weekly podcasts, click that subscribe button. We're also gonna get the Instagram blowing up. So follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast and our YouTube channel is coming. I think that's what I'm most excited about. Pretty soon guys, you're gonna be able to watch every single episode on YouTube. You're gonna be able, we're gonna have camera set up, we're gonna do training videos. There is just so much good content coming your way. So ah, I'm super excited. <laughs> super, super excited. I hope you guys are too because we're just getting started. 100 episodes, Psh, that's just the beginning. Just wait, guys, just wait. <laughs> so I hope you stick around with me on this journey. Come train your dog with me. I'm so looking forward to continuing this with everybody. So thank you so much again. Um, it, look, this, is, this has been such a strange kind of journey, right? I don't think I ever thought I would start a podcast about dogs. Uh, crazy how certain circumstances push you in certain directions. With that said, I wanna take just a little moment. Guys, whatever you do for a living, whatever your expertise is, I highly suggest looking into starting a podcast. It has been such an amazing experience for myself. It's been a lot of good growth, whether it's personal or professional, both, both arenas. It's been such uh, a good tool to grow myself and, and grow my career. And again, just kind of get some introspective on yourself and look inside. So if you guys have something you're passionate about, it doesn't even have to be a career, right? Maybe it's just something you're passionate about. Think about starting a podcast. I think it's such a cool way to be able to get your information, your expertise out there, uh, to connect with people. It's been the neatest thing to watch this information that I'm just go around the world, <laughs> literally around the world. I want to like thank you to my listeners over in the UK. You guys are awesome. There's I know quite a few of you over there. Australia, we've got quite a few listeners. Guys, I've had people in China, the Netherlands, uh, South Africa, uh, Mexico, uh, Canada. I, I don't even, I can't even like name them all with how many countries this podcast has reached. Never in a million years, you know I mean? Look, when I did dog training before this, right? Before the podcast, before, it's like a one-on-one. -on -one. It's a referral-based business that I'm, I'm one person at a time, right? And all of a sudden, this podcast has allowed me to just multiply it by thousands, thousands and all around the world. So if you guys have something you're really passionate about or you're an expert in your field, in your career, get a podcast going. It is super cool, super fun. Bare minimum, you're gonna learn so much about yourself and even create some networking opportunities that you may not have thought would even come up. Uh, so really, really awesome. Look, it takes a microphone, a small little interface, and a computer. That's about it. That's all it takes to get started. Uh, and then you can grow from there. But I just wanna take a moment of, don't be afraid to get yourself out there. Don't be afraid to put your expertise out into the world because what an awesome medium to be able to do it. So, you know, food for thought, something to think about, right? Uh, but 
I have had a really awesome time with this. This has been such a cool journey on this podcast, and I'm so glad you guys could make it with me. Now, the interesting thing is <laughs> the podcast has given me clarity on dogs more so than ever. It really has. Um, and, you know, I can hear people go, David, aren't you good at, like, you're an expert, shouldn't you have been good? Guys, if you're not growing <laughs> every day and you're not a little bit better at your profession each year than you were before, then in my opinion, you're do doing something wrong, okay? Um, as I've said before, if you get a dog trainer who knows everything, who says, oh, you know, I don't know how to fix it. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I know a lot of information and I'm proud of that fact. But what I mean is when you have a trainer who comes in, like, look, I'll give you a small example. Uh, years ago, I had somebody tell me they had this aggressive dog and they did a phone call with a trainer, a phone call. And they were literally on the call not even five minutes. And the, the trainer's already telling them to put their dog down. Seriously? You're not even going to go meet the person? And come on, like what in the world? So that's what I'm talking about. When somebody just, oh, no, I've been doing this long and I put the dog down. That's just, come on, ridiculous. If you're not growing every day, and if you're not trying to grow every day, you're doing something wrong. Just being honest. <laughs> and this podcast has really allowed me to up that growth, to, to really see things maybe I never would have seen. And when it comes to the training, when it comes to the dogs, I think the one thing the podcast has really allowed me to see, see, uh, I already saw it, but it's just, it's more clarity, if you will, is just how simple dog training is. It really is. And we all, you know why, we, you know why people are not successful at dog training? Because they overcomplicate it. They overcomplicate it. Whether you're putting your emotions onto your dog or you have to have this tool or this gimmick or this, that, or that, and he won't do it if we don't do that, but beat the papa boot, all these circumstances of why my dog will, why my dog will. Overcomplicating it. This podcast has, has, has just given me so much more clarity into teaching all of you to K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. You really, like, I tell people, look, I, I say this, and you may have heard me say this before. There's two pieces of advice I like to give people for training animals. Two pieces. Number one, own it. Act like you've done this a thousand times before. Have confidence. That's what I mean by own it. Have confidence. And the second thing is know where the animal's focus is and have the ability to guide and direct it, right? And I'm gonna tack a third one on there now, and it's don't overcomplicate it. Don't overcomplicate it. Keep everything simple, okay? Keep it simple. I know, easier said than done. Isn't that kind of ironic, right? Easier, easier said than done to keep it simple. It's complicated to keep it simple. It's only complicated because we make it that way. Okay, that's the point. You know, it's funny, when you sit here week after week and you, you say this information over and over and over and over. It's incredible how the information can change context a little bit for you. Even though you knew the information, you know the definitions, there's that growth side, right? There's that growth side I'm talking about. So your perspective can change a little bit. And so, again, what I've seen is people just overcomplicate everything. And it, look, it's natural. We're human beings. That's what we do. Uh, not necessarily a good thing all the time, but it is what we do. We put our emotions onto everything. And we got we to gotta stop that. Stop putting your emotions onto your dog. Step back and keep it simple. The reason we have misbehaving dogs is because we don't keep it simple. Keep it simple, guys. Dogs are simple creatures. Smart, but simple. Very black and white, right? So it's really awesome how 100 episodes can just reiterate <laughs> and strengthen what I already know and maybe just change the perspe my perspective, my, uh, 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 the context of it just a little bit 
and only in a way that helps it grow and helps me grow, helps my clients grow. Um, so again, guys, really, when it comes to training, I can't stress it enough. I want to give you this to just keep it simple. K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. That is the one biggest takeaway from my podcast I think I can take away myself that I've been preaching forever. And it's like, yeah, keep it simple. It's just that much more clarity to it. Keep it simple, guys. Don't overcomplicate it. But I want to say thank you again. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart to each and every one of you. This podcast would not be succeeding as it is without you guys. The numbers are going up. We are continually growing. October was the highest rated month I've had so far. I cannot thank you guys enough. It's because of each and every one of you. So don't forget, guys, click that subscribe button. Leave me a great rating or review if you love what you're hearing. Follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. We got some great training videos coming your way. And of course, that YouTube channel is going to be launching real soon. So be sure you stick around, <laughs> sit and stay. All kinds of fun stuff coming your way on Speak a Dogcast. Thank you guys so much again. And I look forward to the next 100 episodes with all of you. The answer to today's trivia question, where are dogs' sweat glands located? In their paw pads. Yes, dogs actually do have sweat glands on their paws. And when they're very, very hot, on a rare occasion, you'll actually see dogs sweat out their paws. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the National War Dog Cemetery and Memorial. The National War Dog Memorial is dedicated to all of the dogs that have served in battle, and it is located at the U.S. Naval Base in Guam. Now, before we dive into this segment, I actually have to start off with a very special thank you to one of my clients, uh, Glenn. Uh, Glenn and Ann, but no offense, Ann, mostly Glenn, uh, <laughs> because Glenn is a merchant marine, and it's incredible. He gets to go over and and be, you know goes over to the Pacific and uh, captains these amazing ships and does all this work. And he uh, he oftentimes visits Guam and the Guam Naval Base as part of their operations. And Glenn was nice enough to take his time. Uh, take some of his time out and actually go visit the War Dog Memorial and take some awesome pictures for us. Uh, so really cool stuff. You guys can go check out my Instagram, Speak a Dogcast. We're going to put those pictures up there within the next few days. So you guys can check out these really cool pictures of the memorial. Um, and the neat thing is, you know, this memorial is actually on the naval base in Guam. And unfortunately, it's no longer accessible by the public. So this is why it was even cooler, because even if you guys went to Guam right now, right, unless you're military personnel, uh, you're not going to be able to see this memorial. So really, really cool. And a very special thank you again to Glenn for taking his time to share this with all of us. So really neat. All right. So let's get into it. So Guam was originally a United States territory. It became a U.S. territory in uh, 1898. However, it was captured pretty early on uh, in World War II by the Japanese on December 10th, 1941. The island was held for another two and a half years until the United States Marines landed and attempted to recapture it. Now, when they landed, they brought with them the second and third war dog platoons. These dogs were mostly used as sentries, scouts. Uh, they, they could explore the island's cave systems, find booby traps, detect landmines, and of course, most importantly, protect sleeping marines. Uh, yes, they could alert them to potential danger. Now, speaking of danger, uh, one of the most famous incidents involving one of these dogs was actually a dog named Kurt. Now, from a book called Always Faithful, a memoir of the marine dogs of World War II by William W. Putney, uh, he actually documents this dog and how he ended up saving over 250 lives. Yes, the marines were actually walking in to a massive Japanese force ahead of them unknowingly, but Kurt knew. 
Kurt alerted them and ended up saving these Marines. Unbelievable. Now, a lot of these dogs, we all know they went through hell and back, uh, as with the soldiers, and unfortunately, Kurt was badly, uh, badly injured in a mortar attack. His handler was also injured as well, and his handler actually refused treatment until Kurt had been evacuated. Unfortunately, though, war, uh, Kurt was one of the war dogs to be killed in action, and among the 60 Marine war dogs that landed, 25 died there and 20 more were wounded. So this memorial, this monument, was a way to dedicate and recognize their service, their work, and the ultimate sacrifice a lot of them make, made in order to save Marines. Uh, really unbelievable, guys. The, the, the statue, it's very moving, you know? It's really moving and really incredible. You know, the, the, the monument has all the dogs' names listed, as well as a stoic, gorgeous Doberman uh, statue laying on top. So it's really neat. It's really moving. It, 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 what's really cool is, again, if you guys go check out the pictures on the Instagram, you're going to see it. What's neat is people bring tributes still to these dogs. There's milk bones and toys being laid on the memorial. Um, really quite moving. Um, I mean, really, it's just, it's awesome. As a dog lover, as an animal lover, have to appreciate it. Now, it wasn't always as appreciated as it is today. Uh, there wasn't always the memorial there. As a matter of fact, the memorial was not installed until July 21st, 1994. Now, they chose this date because it was the 50th anniversary of the battle. Now, atop this sculpture, as I said, it's this Doberman, a uh, beautiful bronze Doberman, and it's actually meant to be Kurt, <laughs> which is really cool. And they have an inscription on it that says, always faithful. And of course, this is in reference to the Marine Corps' own motto, Semper Fidelis. Really neat though. Obviously, we all can't get to Guam and be on, get on the military base and check out this more. Cool thing is there are copies of it. There are other war dog memorials. Fort Benning actually has a memorial to war dogs at the National Infantry Museum, and that was installed in 2004. There's another identical sculpture, and it is at the March Air Force Base in Riverside, California. Other life-size castings of the Guam Memorial. Uh, 1998, the University of Tennessee's College of Veterinary, uh, Veterinary Medicine installed one. 2001, uh, the Alfred M. Gray Marine Corps Research Center had one installed. 2005, Centennial Garden at Auburn University College of Veterinary Medicine. And the AKC Museum of the Dog in St. Louis, Missouri. So, you know, maybe if you guys are closer to those, you can go check those out. Really cool stuff. Now, one other memorial I just wanted to shine a little bit of light on. Uh, this is the Military Working Dog Team's National Monument at Lackland Air Force Base. Now, military dogs have been trained at this Air Force Base since 1958. So it seemed only appropriate that a monument was erected. Now, a gentleman by the name of John Burnham, he was a dog handler during the Vietnam War. He was instrumental in securing funds to make this memorial happen. So... Guys, there's memorials all over the place, dog memorials. Look them up. Go see if you can find some in your area. I think it's fantastic that we're recognizing dogs and their contributions to their military work. For a very long time, dogs were not appreciated. They were, it was, they were viewed the same way as, as maybe a rifle. They were just a tool and a means to work and, and you know, keep protection, uh, have protection during wartime. But now we're starting to recognize it's so much more than that. It's the relationship the handlers have with them, um, that, that bond. And that's what keeps our military staff safe, is that kind of training. So I think it's wonderful we're recognizing it. I think we also need to remember to recognize all of our military personnel, not just our four-legged friends, right? And make sure we thank them for their sacrifice. Those who support them, those who serve, those who have served, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Guys, let's not forget what today is. It's December 7th. 
Okay, day Pearl Harbor was attacked. Um, the reason that you and I can sit here, the reason that I can have this conversation with you today, the reason I have this podcast, the reason we're all still here is the sacrifices that others made. Please don't forget it. Please don't take it for granted. And thank you very much to all of our military personnel. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Jack from Richmond, Virginia. Jack says, my wife and I just rescued a one and a half year old mix, but he's scared of me and loves my wife. Too much. And just the other day, he growled at me while sitting in front of my wife. How can I fix this? All right, Jack. Uh, good question. This is uh, not necessarily going to be totally straightforward. You know, look, first of all, your wife needs to take any affection she's giving that dog and stop. Okay, I know, sounds a little harsh, but it's what needs to happen. The problem is your dog thinks for whatever reason it's getting possessive over your wife. It's probably because, and look, just being honest, you're probably more assertive than your wife is. And for a dog that's got some anxiety issues, that may be throwing him off. Your wife isn't as assertive. He feels like he can control it. That brings some control and stability to him. And that's why you're getting this happening, okay? It doesn't make sense, it's not logical, but that's where dogs' brains go. So your wife needs to take the affection down, stop giving him affection. I need you to start walking him. I need you to start feeding him. I need you to be the one to start interacting with him. I don't want you to coddle him, it's okay, none of that stuff. Just very matter of fact, work with him. Give him treats, okay? He needs to understand you have good things to offer and you also have rules, boundaries, and structure to offer as well. Not just the food, but the structure side of it as well, okay? Um, once you feel like he's kind of giving up on your wife a little bit, not being so possessive, not being on it, then we can slowly bring your wife back into the picture. But to be honest, she kind of needs to remove herself a little bit when working with him right now um, so that he doesn't feel like he needs to be possessive. And again, like I said, he can associate other things with you. Now, I want you to be careful with this, though, because he is growling. Do be cautious, okay? It's a rescue dog. I don't know how long you've had him. I don't know how much of his behavior you truly know or the rescue knows. Be cautious. I don't want you to be scared, but I want you to be aware, okay? These kind of things, you don't know. If it's a rescue, you, you don't know. Um, so don't be scared. Just proceed with caution. At the same time, I'd also kind of maybe recommend you might want to find a professional. Uh, look, you can you can reach out to me more. We can do some um, uh, online training. We can do some of that. Uh, but it might be a good idea to get somebody in person being, you know, look, when we start getting possessive stuff, that kind of things, uh, those kind of things, it can get more tricky. At the same time, if you just rescued him, let's get on top of this now before it snowballs out of control. Um, this is something I could probably help you with if we get on it right away. Okay, but I would recommend working with a professional with something like this, because it may not be be as black and white as I'm, I'm kind of sounding. Uh, it's going to take a good consultation, I would say, to, to, to really dive into what's going on with this dog and to be able to fix it properly. So proceed with caution, but maybe reach out to myself or another professional in your area so you can best set yourself up for success. Next question. This comes from Jill from Boston, Massachusetts. Jill says, my friend just got a rescue puppy, so now we have three dogs in our pack. The new puppy growls and barks at anyone and anything that makes noise or walks by. He also growls at my friend when she tries to correct the barking as well. Now, he did resource guard his food initially, but my friend has been hand feeding him and that has been better. But the barking really freaks people out. He's most likely eight to 10 months old, so maybe he's a teen? Help. <laughs> All right, Jill, a couple things I gotta, I gotta, we gotta talk about in this. There's, there's a few things going on here. Uh, first thing I wanna say, resource guarding, I'll be honest, 
I don't like that term. I really don't. It's the new term everybody's using, and I quite frankly don't get it. You're, the dog's possessive. It's it's not resource guarding. It's, he's possessive. He's possessive over the food. Like <laughs> I don't know why we have to change all the words to this because possessiveness sounds so mean. Or I I don't know. Dog's possessive. Okay. I, I hate resource guarding. I hate that term because it's possessiveness. Okay, if it's resource guarding or toy guarding or people guarding, guys, it's the same thing. It's possessiveness. You're being possessive over a person, a toy, food. That's why I don't like that term resource guarding because it makes it sound like it's something different than guarding a person or a toy. Okay, so mm, let's just not use that word. <laughs> okay, your dog was your friend's dog was possessive over food. Uh, now. Let's just touch on the food for a second, because if she's hand feeding him, that's great and it might be helping. But my concern is, is it the food he's possessive over or is it the bowl? Hence, this whole resource guarding term can be misleading because do we consider a bowl a resource? Well, it's not food. So no. So is that resource guarding? I don't know, because you see the problem here. Okay, so it's possessiveness. Let's just right there. So that's the question. Is the dog possessive over the bowl? or is it the food, or is it both? Now, it sounds to me like it might be the bowl. It could be the food. Like, this is why I don't have enough information to give you the exact what's going on here, Jill. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of hearing that it might be the food bowl. It also might be the pile of food as opposed to a piece of food. If she's feeding one piece at a time, um, that might not make the dog feel like he needs to be possessive over it. But the second there's a bowl of food there, that could change the scenario and the circumstances. Even if he's fine for months taking food out of her hands, the bowl might be a different story. So I want you to proceed with caution there. Do be careful with that, and as you uh, progress with the resource, or see, I just said it because I read it, uh, the possessiveness issues that you have going on there. Um, but what I'm, and, and, and here's the other reason I don't like the term resource guarding. Your puppy, or your friend's puppy is displaying controlling behaviors. Ah, because here's the thing, the food possessiveness and the barking at, at noises and things that walk by, those are the same issue. Believe it or not, those are kind, they're, they're the same issue, okay? Um, and what it is, is it's controlling behaviors. This is where, again, my job is not to train dogs, it's to change your perspective on what a dog is, okay? Dogs attempt, we all, now, every animal on this planet, we attempt to find control, right? We attempt to find stability through control mechanisms. And dogs are pack animals, right? So they kind of act out to see if anybody else is gonna, especially a puppy, see if anybody else is gonna tell them no. And if they don't, they keep pushing. The problem is dogs will keep pushing to an unhealthy level to the point of possessiveness, right? Okay, and then on top of that, when your friend goes to correct the dog, the dog's like, don't you tell me what to do. I control everything here. I control the food, I control the affection, and you're not gonna tell me what to do. See, so when you change your perspective on what is actually going on here behaviorally, this is a control issue. This isn't a um, food possessive issue. This is a whole issue that's bleeding over into multiple aspects of, your, of this dog's behavior. This is why I tell people, training is not just one, I'm not just gonna go solve the food possessive issue and all of a sudden everything's fine. I have to hit this from 10 different angles in order to fix this behavior, all right? So look, this is a little tougher, Jill. It is because you have a dog who's got some control problems. Now, the good news is it's a puppy. Makes it a lot easier to fix this stuff. The bad news is eight to 10 months old, it's a little older, it's been practicing it a little longer. Maybe the dog is a little bigger and that's why it's intimidating people that come over uh, or they're barking at. So uh, I wish I, Jill, I wish I could kind of give you the black and white thing here, the black and white answer, but the reality is 
it's most likely everything your friend and maybe even yourself are doing and interacting with this dog. Now, it came to you with these issues clearly, um, but we're not really fixing it, right? So it has to do with your interaction, how you leash the dog up, how you take them for a leash, how you do the feeding, how she's correcting them. Uh, what, is she using any treats to try to redirect and reward when the dog does give up on something? Um, these are all things we have to take into consideration, okay? So... Uh, yeah, I wish I could just give you the black and white answer here, but you've got quite a few things going on there with this puppy, okay? The one thing I will say is let's also, let's you know, you probably are, Jill. I know you're a longtime listener, so I hope uh, your friend's using the right tools, but let's talk about that. Make sure you have the right leash, the right collar, that martingale collar, six-foot leash, treats and treat pouch. I'm hearing the dog is food motivated, right? There it is. Possessive over the food. That equals food motivation. <laughs> so we can utilize that to our advantage. Um, you want to try to redirect the dog's behavior when they react. Maybe even just try to ask for a little sit and stay just to try to slow that brain down and change their thought process. And if they sit down and relax, give them food. Even if they go right back to the barking or growling at a person two seconds later, redirect again, try to get them to sit, try to change that focus and calm them down and reward relaxing, calm behavior. Perhaps a little easier said than done, um, but like I said, Jill, you got a lot going on here. Um, so I wish I could just give you the quick answer, but I'll, you know, this isn't a quick fix. You guys have to change the way you leash him up, the way you walk, the way you feed, the way you interact, the way he's interacting and playing with other dogs. All of these things are going to add up to all these undesired behaviors that you're getting. Um, so. Whew. A lot to, there's a lot to talk about. So, you know, if you want to reach out to me further and we can talk, maybe do a consultation or something, you know, we can do that. But this this one's a little tougher and I can't give you just that black and white answer you're looking for. So I hope some of that helps, uh, but feel free to talk to me if you have any more questions. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in and thank you for helping make Speak a Dogcast a great success with our 100th episode. Be sure you check back soon for our YouTube channel launching. Follow us on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. And if you love what you're hearing, give me that five star rating. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Thank you.